Welcome back to the fam. Today is our 10th episode. Can you believe it? 10 episodes. So awesome. I really enjoyed these conversations. And one of my favorite things is being to hear how unique every parent and family stories and experiences are. I love to hear the uniqueness and, and differences because every family is different and there's so many uh, tips and experiences that are going to influence families in different ways. So thank you to everybody who's been a part of these conversations for being vulnerable and sharing your experience because your experience can totally help others as we lead our families and disciple our kids. Thanks so much for being a part of the journey of these conversations and I really do count it a privilege to record these conversations and share them with you. Now, this is the 10th episode of season one, and it's actually our conclusion to the first season. We're going to take a break here on the fam until the new year. So keep your eyes on the space because there might be a bonus episode or two. You know, anything can happen. For today's episode, I have a really fun conversation with Ann Stevens. Anne is a junior high teacher at KCA and a mom who loves adventure and having fun. Anne and her husband John have four kids and two grandkids so far. Anne was also my junior high teacher as well. So we have some fun reminiscing being in the classroom together and uh, she shares a couple great stories. It was also great to explore her teaching career. She gives us a bit of a window into her classroom and what she's learned about spending 17 years with junior high students. It's pretty impressive. We also talk about how their family packed up and moved to Egypt with four little kids. We talk through competitiveness and family dynamics and so much more. So Anne, thanks for being a part of the fam today. Thank you everyone for joining us for our final conversation of season one. Let's get started with my conversation with Anne Stevens. Anne Stevens, welcome to the fam. Thanks. It's good to be here. A little bit nervous, but it's good. Oh, I'm excited. We'll just sit and chat. And uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation because uh, you were my junior high teacher. I was your junior high teacher. And I do remember one specific incident involving specifically you. <laughs> okay. Can you, can you share it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of these ceiling panels was missing in the room. And you were sitting below that ceiling panel for quite a while. And I think... Uh, for three or four months, you and a bunch of the guys just had a lot of fun chucking things up there. <laughs> and then um, you were so polite about it because the last day of school, you got up on a chair and you started showing the whole class everything that you guys had chucked up <laughs> in the false ceiling that whole entire year. So. That's incredible. Was there any food up there or was it just like stuff? Oh, it, when, it was pens and papers. I'm sure there was food in, I mean, every year there's food somewhere, right? That's no longer food. <laughs> oh my goodness i honest i remember the the like ceiling tile but i don't really remember throwing stuff up there yeah. <laughs> it sounds like something that i would get into mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well i'm thankful that um you would take some time to have a chat today on the fam um we can talk about schooling but i also know that you are a part of a big family you have a bunch of kids um, your job as a teacher, I'm confident, would uh, has helped shape and influence the way that, that you parent. Um, so I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a lot of things today, but thank you for, for having the chat. It should be fun. My pleasure. Um, I would love to start by um, talking about the vibe of having a big family. Because um, you have a lot of siblings, is that right? Yeah, it's interesting. When I was thinking about your question, I thought, hmm, does he mean like my, John and me, our family is big? We have four children. That's mm -hmm. a good size. But yes, our extended families are very large. So for example, I have 66 first cousins. <laughs> like these are not cousins that you're looking for in the woodwork. Right. These are actual first cousins that I personally have, wow. 66. Because my mom is from a family of six. Whoa. And my dad is from a family of nine. Wow. And then um, my kids have 44 first cousins themselves. So that's completely <laughs> separate from all of my extended family. Right. Just Scott, Robin, Tony, and Jeff have 44 first cousins. That's insane. Yeah. And and then, of course, our immediate family is just John and I, our four kids, and two, two, uh, two I was going to say in-laws. That sounds really, <laughs> they're like... You know, Tori is married to Scott yes. and Claire is married to Tony. Right. Yeah. And amazing. two grandkids. Got to, you know, mention that. It's important. They're amazing. So fun. Mm -hmm. Cool. 
Well, I'd love to know what was so so growing up with a big family, whether that's siblings or extended extended family. Like, was that were you guys always like a big gang that you were close with, or what was the like what was the vibe like? I really grew up because my parents were immigrant parents. Um, extended family meant a lot, hmm. um, so I did a lot with my aunts and uncles and first cousins. Our kids growing up. Yeah, they always had cousins. I'm from, I have four sisters and a brother. John has five brothers and a sister. So they always had lots of cousins to play Mm -hmm. with. And I think that really provided a stability and um, there was always fun and there was always lots of people, Mm. lots of other kids for them to play with. So birthday parties before they went to school tended to include all their cousins you know and you could have 10 kids over with cousins that were close to their age yeah kind of thing um what was your original question again just just what like what uh what was that like or maybe to to rephrase it um how do you think having a big extended family Mm -hmm. helped your kids learn and grow like yeah so certainly having a big extended family they're learning to work things out with other kids their age it's like being in school right Mm -hmm. there's um learning to get along and learning to share um for john and i it really instilled in us the importance of family and so that really extended down into how we raised our own kids as Mm. far as the importance of our family unit and the things that we did together and how we wanted our family to look yeah well even before we started recording you were saying like just last night you had pizza with everybody and that's something that you do every week right it's like pizza on Sundays yeah we're really blessed they live close by and you know what if you keep making the good food they'll keep coming home (laughs) that's so true so we um we always our goal was to make home and to make family fun Hmm. we didn't have to go out to a um theme park to have fun we didn't have to go on holiday to have have fun we tried to make home a fun place to be Huh. So we did lots of games, and the kids were just really involved in a lot of we did of what we did every day. We lived on a farm, so they would help me gather eggs. They would help me pick up uh, rotten apples off the ground, one of their favorite tasks. Um, yeah, so they were just involved. The work and the play really mixed. I don't mm. think I was a mom that really sat down and played with my kids, but right. I was talking to them, and they were with me all the time helping me with my work and with what needed to be done that's really cool does it was it what was it like to include young kids in the work that you needed to do because I imagine that could be tedious which actually that's funny that I can say this is a sidebar you taught me that word tedious Uh, um in seven eight and every time I say it I think back to (laughs) math class and you're like guys this work is very tedious and this is what tedious means uh anyways um that comes up every time I say that word, and I didn't think about it until mm-hmm. now. But mm-hmm. that must be tedious, including your small kids in work that you have to get done. And I'm sure as a mom, you were busy. Was it difficult to include the kids in those tasks? Well, and to be quite honest, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes mm. it was simply out of necessity. When I was going to the barn to gather eggs, we had a small chicken farm, I had to bring the kids with me. So right. then um, they get tasks. And they're helping out. Sometimes in the house, if I was doing canning or baking, it depended on the age, um, whether how much they really helped me or not. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm a little bit more patient with my granddaughter now helping me make pizza than I would have been with my (laughs) own kids when they were little. But for sure, they were um, uh, more the outdoor work. There's always something you can give them. You can give them a little rake or they can pick up apples or they can pull weeds in the garden. So we were very very fortunate to have a, a place like that where they could work. That's really cool. And I'm sure that helped instill in your kids too that like home and family was something that you did together and wasn't just something that they watched mom and dad do. Mm-hmm. And then they were just the kids who could do whatever they want. It's like, no, we're doing this together. Like and- Exactly. Yeah. And it was um, like together we can keep things running smoothly and Mm. we all this is part of your responsibility as being a part of a family yeah part of your responsibility is to pitch in and help so saturday mornings were cleaning times and everybody learned to you know do the toilets and do the vacuuming and march break was spring cleaning time and all the baseboards and the walls and i mean they got lots of breaks too of course yes they did learn to work hard that's so cool 
Um, I'd love if you could say more about making home a fun place to be and like, you know, work and play being together. Was that something that you did intentionally or did that just kind of like just happen based on, you know, having the kids around? I would say that was really my hubby. John loves to play games. And so he really got us playing games early. Mm. And when we played games as a family, it would be, it wasn't like, oh, who would like to play a game? Oh, none of you want to, that's all right. It would be like, we're playing games and Mm. everybody played games. Um, So it wasn't like, like we all know Tony loves to read, right? He would have probably loved to have gone to his room and read a book like every time. But we didn't feel that that would build family time like so you can we could kind of say we made them play games with us but it got to very quickly got to a point where if we were playing games that was just the expectation that Mm. everybody would join in yeah and we're a very competitive family you (laughs) didn't know that did you (laughs) i do happen to know that (laughs) um so there was a lot of character growth that happened and i'm not just saying for the kids for john and i too like Mm. i was not a good loser i'm still not a good loser sometimes um playing games really spawned lots of conversations and lots of talking through um getting frustrated and how to deal with that frustration and Hmm. i wonder if you could say more about that Anne, about like being it because that the game context is a very uh, maybe lighter maybe not always lighter but a lighter way where conflict can come up um, was it difficult to like learn how to work that out with your kids like because conflict between kids is maybe easier to mediate as a parent but when you're frustrated with your kids it could be over something like a game um, but it can quickly spill beyond that yeah well, well when you're competitive yourself and I guess honestly our kids get their characteristics from their parents right (laughs) so when you're competitive yourself and you're involved in a game yes even um, as parents we could sometimes have a wrong attitude or be fighting with how to deal with this properly and with children it's always this balance of wanting to teach and wanting them to learn but not being too hard or harsh and not breaking their spirit Mm. and yet um we were very deliberate about pinpointing things that we saw and getting to like not allowing an excuse like oh I just I said that but I didn't mean it it's like Mm. no if it came out of your mouth it is something you're feeling so where is that coming from Mm. so there were some pretty deep conversations we had but we tended to have those anyways around meal times and um, we're a real talking family yeah we did a lot of talking yeah, and that's something that I know about you guys is mealtimes, just from my relationship with Tony, mealtimes are, family mealtimes are very important for you guys. Because um, you guys have breakfast together. I know when the boys lived at home, <laughs> breakfast on Saturdays yeah. um, and Sunday night dinners, like that's really special. Mm. Um, did you have to intentionally, like, actually I wonder now as the kids are adults, do you have to intentionally like bring everybody together or is that something that's kind of been worked into your family rhythm uh it's really now that they're all adults it's really been worked into the weekend routine so Mm -hmm. they know they can't always all make it on a saturday on a sunday night sure but um they know that the invite is always there right um yes we were very intentional about it when our um children were young and when they were all at home saturday mornings were very important to us Mm -hmm. and breakfast was they got to sleep in till 8 30 because breakfast was at nine and pushback on that when they were teenagers a little bit (laughs) yes and and often we talk about we didn't have so much rules as we had expectations so mm. yes when they they were teenagers and moods were up and down <laughs> and they might come up you know not in the most talkative mood on Saturday morning that's okay they didn't have to be super talkative but they had to be pleasant so mm. the expectation was no matter how you're feeling you're still going to be polite mm-hmm. um, the expectation is this is what we do as a family morning doesn't have to be your favorite time but it is this is how we start our day and so that's, that's awesome I- that brings back a flashback to when I was in junior high and I came upstairs and my mom was like Nick I know you don't like the mornings, but if you're going to have breakfast here, 
uh, you need to treat your siblings nicely because you can't be grumpy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we always said to our kids, you know, um, you, you should never treat your friends nicer than you treat your own family. Mm. And sometimes I think wow. we're a little bit more free to not treat our siblings and even parents um, sometimes as nicely as we should. And I think that's because we feel secure in that relationship, right? We huh. know that they're not going to say, well, I'm not your family anymore. Yeah, they're right. our family, right? Yes. But you really are building for the future when you're teaching your kids about how they can talk to their siblings, about how they speak to you, um, and just constantly instilling in them your siblings are going to be probably your best friends when you get older. Mm -hmm. And that's what we find with our kids now is that they're really good friends with each other. That's cool. And that's the result of intentional, like, teaching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, not every sibling is best friends. But you can, yeah, you can totally teach and instill that in them. That's really cool. And I see that. Like, I'm friends with all of your kids. Mm -hmm. um, And I know that they have great relationships with each other, which is really cool. Um, okay, I'd love to to switch gears a little bit because something unique about your family that I don't know if a lot of people know is when your kids were quite young, you guys moved like across the world. <laughs> yeah, we did. And actually, it's interesting. One of the I was on lunch recess duty and one of the kids in grade four said, Mrs. Stevens, did you live in Israel? And I said, well, not Israel, but Egypt. So yeah, my husband... Um, accepted a job with a firm in Egypt and of course we talked about it and so on right. but our children were three five seven and nine wow. when we packed everything that we would need into 12 suitcases and flew to Egypt and we didn't know a soul whoa that's crazy it was crazy <laughs> and I remember just bawling my eyes out the yeah. night before we were to leave we sold our prop our country property in drayton um we either sold or go- gave away most of our furniture and i remember just bawling my eyes out because i thought of the family extended family we were going to miss and church family koinonia was very important to us um but also my pragmatic Dutch side kicked in where I said, okay, this is a two-year commitment. Hmm. In 20 years, if I look back and think, I was scared to do that, and I missed this super incredible experience because of a little bit of fear, that would be silly. So, hmm. Wow. I like we that felt, perspective. We really did feel called by God as well. But yeah. yes, that was a very it was a very conscious thought in my mind that come on, Anne, in 20 years, what are you going to think that you didn't take this chance? Yeah. I I wonder what what were some of the things that you learned from that experience? Because I mean, even just taking four young kids on an airplane is a learning experience enough to go on vacation or do whatever. Um, But to, to pack everything up in 12 suitcases and move to a place where English is not the language, Mm. you don't know anybody. um, Like, what did you were there some key things that stuck out from that experience that were just like learning yeah um this could be another whole podcast but i'll try to keep it to a couple key things without going um into too much detail first we really continued to learn to rely on one another like Mm. our kids um all week they were just with each other so they really did have to get along Mm -hmm. and John and I we really had to roll with things and we had to be each other's encourager and um, prop each other up when we were feeling down second church family became super important we uh, became part of a church that was very interdenominational just whoever they were from, I think, thir- 12 or 13 different nations of the world. Whoa. And they also, English was their first language. So we all met together on Fridays because Friday is the Muslim holy day. Okay. So that's when we had a day off. Sweet. So we would go to church on Fridays. So church community was very important. Perspective. Wow, did it ever change our perspective? I think earlier before we came on air, I said something about I needed more margin in my life Mm, and I stopped myself. I try to never say I need because Mm. living here in Canada, there's very little that I need. Mm. I, um, our choices, 
were very limited there as far as things that we could get. Sure. Um, and yet we lived so well compared to the majority of the people that we saw on the streets. Hmm. And then the fourth thing, which just left my mind. Well, maybe it'll come back. I want to ask more about perspective because um, I imagine that perspective of need versus want. I love the clarification of that. Uh how did you teach your kids about that perspective? Because I imagine that was something that you and John, um, your husband, saw and experienced and wrestled with when you were in Egypt and then moving back home. Um, did you have to walk your kids through that perspective too? What was that like? I think because of the age that they were at, it actually came pretty naturally. Like there's a, a good window of time that you have with your children where you're really, as parents, you're the most important people in their life. Mm-hmm. And we had fostered that when they were young because we tended to do things with other families. So our family was still a unit. Like we would have other families over. We would go camping with other families. It wasn't often that... One one of our children went off with a friend here and another one went there. Um, we were doing things together with other families. So we were still the major influence in their life. And however we handled things is how they tended to pick it up. Hmm. And kids are really very, they're very easy to get excited about things, very easy to have fun with. Yeah. And so we did live... on a great property in Egypt and we did a lot of things as a family again we played games outside we went swimming together everything we couldn't leave them behind so they went on groceries with us they went uh, it took an hour and a half to get to church because of traffic we had a lot (laughs) of time in a vehicle together and um, so I think they really did pick it up how we were feeling and how we handled things was how they learn to handle things yeah that's cool i there it sounds like you guys you really do spend a lot of time together as a family um i'm confident that there's there's parents and families listening that are thinking like oh i wish i could just get my kids to like have dinner with us or you know for us for them to just tell me about their day and take their headphones out while they do it um how how would or would you have any encouragement for parents who are just trying to navigate that, like mm-hmm. trying to build that family, um, whether that's family culture or whatever, that it's actually like being together? <laughs> I think anything that you want to see benefit for in the future, it takes hard work in the moment. Hmm. So parenting proactively is hard work. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times, and I'm sure there were plenty of times we did this, it's easy to leave things, to let it go, think, well, this is just one incident. It's really hard to stick to consequences when you've said to your child, this is the consequence. Scott will tell you the story. His (laughs) worst punishment in the whole world was he told a lie. It was a little lie. I said, did you put mustard on your sister's sandwich? He said, no, he (laughs) deliberately lied. Well, he missed balloon bonanza from the kids ministry here in March break, Uh a whole morning filled with fun with balloons. He missed that. That was the consequence. It was he was bawling. I'm in my room bawling because I don't want my son to miss this. Right. But we felt the lie was something he needed to learn about. And mm. that was a major thing sure. that the kids, that he needed to learn right away. So part of it, I think, as parents, it's hard work. Yeah. A lot of fun, but you, you really have to be on your game, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes I think as parents, we're... A, too afraid of making mistakes. Mm. I struggled with that a lot as a young mom. Um, Am I too hard on them? Did did he really tell a lie? Was he really certain? And and it can be easy to make allowances for our kids. I think that's the way God created us, to be the biggest defender of our kids. Mm, But I don't think as parents, when our kids are in a loving home and John and I loved each other, it was evident that... I think coming down a little bit harder is, oh, it, it doesn't harm them hmm. if you're a little bit, if it's a little bit hard or if you make a mistake. And we were very open with our kids about, yes. we will, you know, when we made mistakes, we were open to come to them. Yeah. After some of these game nights, John and I would have to come back the next morning and say, you know what, we did not handle losing well, or I did get, I corrected you strongly because I was feeling the tension of losing this game. Hmm. So um, 
don't be afraid to set boundaries. Kids function so well with boundaries. Yeah. Don't compare your boundaries to someone else's. Right. And follow through. Hmm. It's hard, but yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. The game night example is is great because it's. I think what you're what you're speaking to about coming back the next day or later, and it's like, hey, I being humble enough to apologize to your kids. I think that sets is a big part of setting the family culture, right? So for mm-hmm. for you as the mom to be able to say, "Hey, I I didn't do the right thing. Like I'm sorry." Um, that only opens the door f- and sets the example for your kids to be able to say to to then be able to do that themselves, which I think is pretty cool. Like yeah, like, and and giving time for repentance. Like hmm. I try not to. Uh, when I teach, I try not anymore. I think I did in the beginning years, but I try not to say it anymore where, you know, I want to see a change in attitude right now because yes. I'm thinking, wow, have I ever been able to change my attitude immediately? Hmm. I try to give room and space now for, I still address it and yeah. say, you need to think about this. Was this a proper response? But giving time for um, a child or a student to First of all, leave room for God to speak to them and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And second of all, just give them room for emotions to come down, um, to think about it. I often feel very different about a situation the next day when I've yes. had time at home, time to rest, time to sleep. And so allowing for some time is important. Mm-hmm, totally. Did that Did that take time to make that shift? Like in in the way that you taught or in the way that you parented to allow space for that like was there a moment where you were like oh I need to make more room for this or did Mm. what was that like I I certainly believe it was for myself looking back and can say yes it was a progression for me Mm -hmm. what did it look like I I don't know I can't say exactly that I can pinpoint but I know John and I always reminded each other we wanted to become softer Hmm. and more gracious um, as we grow in our Christian walk, as we become older. Um, So thinking about becoming softer and more gracious, I think just having that constantly in mind. Yeah. And, I mean, we're part of a great church. We receive so much great teaching about um, our thoughts and our words and the motives of our heart. Yes. I love that striving to be did you say softer and more gracious Mm -hmm. like you can't go wrong with that (laughs) Mm -hmm. is it working well (laughs) I think (laughs) like I mean I honestly think so I believe our children would say that about Mm. us I hope that other people see that of course we still have our rough edges and I mean we can't help it we're Dutch and we're opinionated, right? Sure, and you're competitive. And we're competitive. Yeah. Three things. There there are certain traits that we have. Some of them are um, genetic. Some of them are your um, ethnic background. You know, there's things like that that we recognize. And it's not like we have to be something different than a bent that God has given us. Yeah. But um, we've just noted some older people who are you know 20 30 years older than us and we've seen them that they're gracious and they're softer about their opinions and we thought you know what people are still listening to them Mm -hmm. and people still want to talk to them and so we want to make space for the younger generation like I think of when I was we were in our 20s and 30s we were ready to lead the church and just take charge and Mm -hmm. go forward yeah save the world and save the world Mm -hmm. and I think God created us to be that way at that age Mm -hmm. and so now at the age we're at in our later 50s we're here to not give our strong it's such a balance because we want to give wisdom and leadership yeah but you know what sometimes our strong opinions just shouldn't be voiced because mm. God can speak to, you know, people yeah. your age, people in their 30s and their 40s. God can speak to them and lead them. And we don't need to be the voice of God in their life. Mm. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And I think that is a great word for any parent. <laughs> mm. Because something that I've been learning through these conversations is it's really easy to think that we need to be God's voice for our kids. Mm. Uh, Because if we grow up as followers of Jesus, 
Um, you know, we, we talk a lot at church about hearing God's voice and hearing him through scripture. Uh, and it's a lot easier, or I wonder if it's easier to be God's voice for our kids than it is to teach them how to actually hear God's mm. voice on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, that's just a, a thought that I'm having now. But thanks for sharing that about wanting to be pr- pursuing to be more uh, gracious and soft. Mm. Um, I think that's very admirable. And I think a lot of us could pursue that. I think it would do the world a lot of good. So Mm. thanks for sharing that. Um, I wonder, okay, I'd love to talk a little bit about your school experience because um, how how many years have you been teaching? This is my, I was going to check this before I came to talk to you. I believe it's my 17th year, either my 17th or my 18th year teaching grade seven, eight here at KCA. That's amazing. I, how are you still surviving after spending that many, that much time with junior highs? Well, I always say, um, it's funny when I was younger, I always thought I wanted to teach little kids, but now I look at the teachers who teach, you know, JK, SK, grade one, two, and I think, oh, that would be exhausting. It's interesting how God, uh, when he puts within you gifts and abilities, how when you're working within those gifts and abilities, it's not that everything is easy, but you have a passion and a love for what you're doing. Mm. Um, I also think working with 12, 13, 14-year-olds appeals to my you know, sense of adventure, competitiveness, maybe just pushing the boundaries a bit. You know, All those <laughs> things that I had as a teenager, yeah. they don't disappear just because I'm, you know, yeah. Heading towards 60. Sure. Yeah. So I, I like to have a lot of fun with that. Can I share a story about that? Because sure. something's coming back to mind, actually. So we used to do these trips to Fair Glen, the campground. Uh, and in the, like one year, we'd go in the summer. And the next year, we'd go in the winter. And so I remember when I was in grade seven, we went in the winter. And we would play this rock, paper, scissors game where you line up on different sides of the field. And there's like a line that you follow. And when the person on the opposite side you meet in the middle you do rock paper scissors and then whoever wins keeps going while we were playing this game in like two feet of snow and so I remember you saying hey if you're coming fast to that person you just go ahead and knock them right over and see if you can do that so I remember we were running and you knocked me right over in the field like that was awesome yeah yeah I uh, again the competitive nature and just wanting to have fun when when whenever the, uh, a student of mine has a birthday, I pray a blessing over them. Yeah. Uh, they have a couple friends who pray over them, and I pray over them. And I always pray the same thing, and that is, uh, Lord, I pray that they would have because they're entering teenage years, right? That, so many fun things you can do, and I pray that they'll be adventurous and do random crazy things. But in but no matter what, they would always remember that they belong to the Lord and that their mm. first purpose is to serve the Lord. Yeah. But it's okay to have fun and be silly and throw things up in the ceiling all year or whatever <laughs> it is you want to do, Nick. Yes. Well, and you, you do a really good job of stewarding that side of teenagers because I'm sure, or of whatever junior highs, I'm sure it's easy to, on days that you're tired, to want to like shut, shut that down because it's easier to uh, say please don't, than it is to join the energy level Mm. of junior highs. Um, How do you balance that? Like when you're, when it's been a long day? (laughs) Yeah. um, Sometimes it's towards the end of the week um, where it gets a little bit harder. And of course I have my, I have days that don't go so great either. Like where I can go home and think, oh, I was not in the best mood. And I've gone back to class sometimes the next day and said, you know what? I just had a bad day yesterday. However, I do think very early on my students understand there are boundaries, again. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, we love to have fun, but when I'm teaching or when someone else is talking or when there's work to do, you need to be focused on doing that. I tell them, give me six good hours at school and I will try not to give you a lot that you have to do at home. So there's also that expectation that, I tell them I'm I'm the large and in charge person. Like who's the boss here? Mrs. Stevens. But mm-hmm. only only saying that in the sense that there needs to be order mm-hmm. and the students need to know how things are going to go in a day. And I do have things I need to accomplish. Yeah, of course. So so for me sometimes it's even hard to find that balance. Certainly when we go away for the three days to Fair Glen, then yes. it's easy to just let loose and Totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, and and those are things that I do remember is you were all about us having fun, but also making sure that that didn't take over the things that we were actually there to do because students are at school to learn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's why we're there. 
So, Anne, you've been teaching for 17 or 18 years. What are some things that you've noticed in students or in families that have really shifted over that time? So I would say the first thing I've seen is that families have become busier. Mm -hmm. And I think um, there's a couple of things that could contribute to that besides wanting our kids to be engaged and challenged in sports. Families are working hard, moms and dads. We have double income families and our society has become such that it that's the norm and Mm -hmm. it can be required often right um the other thing technology of course plays a a big role um social media already grade seven eight has always been i remember from my grade seven eight years it's a it's it's a lot of fun but it can also be very difficult there's a lot it can be super hard yes a lot of pressures from peers and it doesn't mean it's all negative pressure but just pressure how do i fit in where do i fit in um there's a lot of uh um evaluating of self Mm. um did i laugh at the right time did i say the right thing do i look okay am i wearing the right things am i wearing them the way that looks right cool And now add social media into the mix where um, students really never get away from, if they are on social media at that age, they are seeing up until the time they go to bed what other kids are wearing or saying or doing, Mm -hmm. who's invited to what parties. So I would say another thing is that I'm seeing students, it used to be that Many students didn't get social media till they went to high school. Yeah. I'm seeing it filter down now, where in grade seven or grade eight is maybe where the benchmark their parents have set for when they can be on Instagram or Snapchat or be messaging. Yeah. And so I've noticed that actually the last couple of years where that age has lowered. Mm-hmm. And so that does have a huge, it um, takes the kids' attention. Yes. Students' attention, time and attention. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's that added pressure of uh, seeing what's going on with their friends all the time. And I'm sure along with that pressure of seeing what everybody's doing, it feels like there's the pressure to keep up or make the illusion of keeping up. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you could easily sit at home all night, but based on what you post on social, make it seem like you were out doing something or you were really busy with other people or whatever. Yes. And that, that, that combined with like the physical changes that junior highs go through like yes like I don't I don't know if I could do it now I don't think many of us look back and think oh I'd love to do grade seven eight over again Seriously. <laughs> and many of us often don't even look at the early years of high school that way yeah it seems like by grade 11 we become more confident in who we are and maybe have um a set set our friends a little bit more where it it becomes easier and we kind of are getting a direction in life but before that you know, we're starting to feel this independence, but don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And um, we're friends mean a lot, but can we really, are they going to be lifelong friends? Can we trust yeah. them? Can we tell them things? Um, so that can be very a difficult time. Seriously. But speaking of technology, I would yeah. say a positive uh, for technology is I've seen, uh, I would say, a greater variety of students are able to excel in their schoolwork. Oh, interesting. Because maybe pen to paper was not a strength or some child who might not be good at spelling. Uh, I tell them. Anne is (laughs) winking at me across the room. Uh, You have no idea how many spelling words I had to rewrite in grade seven, eight. And Mm -hmm. now it's not, is that even a thing? Oh, yes, it still is. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. However, I tell them, you know, right now we're only in the second month of school, so they're still doing a lot of pen to paper. Mm -hmm. And I always keep a balance of using pen and paper and using technology. But as they start typing reports for me and typing out their spelling sentences, I say, a computer is your best friend. Do you, you know, and I remind them, do you know what those red squiggly line means? The computer is actually telling you that you misspelled a word. Mm -hmm. And the green squiggly is telling you there's something grammatically wrong. Right. And often the program that you're using can tell you what change you need to make to fix it. So having students able to uh, show what they 
know Mm -hmm. in a more artistic way, using Google Slides, Mm. using different fonts, presenting in front of the class, but having this... um, a, a more visual way of presenting yeah. um, is really fantastic for a lot of students. And then, of course, just even students who would struggle a bit more, Google Read and Write and things like that, we're really able to differentiate more. And I think we're meeting needs in a better way. Oh, I bet. I imagine if if technology was, was how it is now, when I was in grade 7, 8, my academic experience probably would have been really different. Because I was like an average student, but when it came to things like math and spelling, that was like not my strong point. So it would be interesting to see what that would be like. Mm. But, you know, we'll never find out. And that's fine. I don't need to go back to junior high. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know, Anne, if there's anything that you've seen that has stayed the same over your years of teaching. It's like these things are always going to be true about junior highs. Mm. Um, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, there's a couple things. First of all... Um, Junior high and high school can be a different experience for each child, student. If I think of our four kids, some breezed through those years. Some had more difficulties with their own self-worth. Some, it, it, um, they really gained confidence. And for others, it was, it was harder in those times. And then throw on top of that, each child just, how they go through puberty and the hormones and all of that, that's different for everyone too. And the effect is different on everyone. Right. Yeah. So your, your question again was, what have you seen that stayed the same? I mean, obviously the changes and the, like Mm -hmm. the, um, uh, the, instability of that time right and finding themselves and finding how to voice thoughts that they have and in this sense of independence that they're feeling and how to act on that Mm. it's actually very hard to know even for students in my class to figure out with Mrs. Stevens when is it okay to express my independence and when is it important to fall in line and do what's expected so there's a lot they're trying to figure out Um, So it can be different for each student as well. um, I think grade seven, eight are the, can be some of the first really challenging years. And it's where their faith is starting to become their own or where they're starting to realize my faith does have to become my own Mm -hmm. uh, before it was whatever their parents, whatever the church said was what they agreed with. Grade seven, eight is when they first start to hear and think, oh, what does this mean for me? And is this going to make a difference in how I act or how I think or the choices I make? I think more of that comes in high school, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely the start of it in grade seven, eight. How... How would you encourage parents who have students in grade seven, eight? Um, is there anything that you feel like is, you know, because c- it's difficult and you see grade seven, eight students daily. Like it's not like you had a, you did have kids that were in junior high and went through, mm-hmm. um, but you still have kids in junior high, so to speak. Uh, would you have any encouragement for parents who are navigating that time with their kids? Encouragement and uh one thing I would say, again, keep talking to your children, um, keep asking questions. I mean, I think we've all heard it that even when the child says, no, I don't want to hug, they really do want to hug. Mm-hmm. They really need to know you're interested. They still really do want boundaries. Yeah. Sometimes the boundaries actually help them to navigate these harder things like social media. Mm-hmm. And we always told our pa- our children, you may blame us for whatever you want, like if If you get to school and someone's, you know, for example, a student now, Mm -hmm. if they came to school and they're not allowed to have Instagram, if back when we were parenting, we would have said, you may totally throw us under the bus and say, you know what, my parents won't let me have Instagram. If that were to help them get out of a sticky, uncomfortable situation. I would encourage um, parents that it's a process, Mm -hmm. parenting. And um, as much as we'd like to see changes, kind of like that thought of change your attitude right now, as much as we'd like to see it right now, just realizing that a steady input from youth group, from church, from yourself as parents, Mm -hmm. from 
good friends. Yeah. All of those things are going to shape them. And leaving space, like you said earlier, leaving space for them to Mm. then actually see that change happen. Yes. Because, yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and surround your kids with... um, with friends that they crave friendships starting in grade seven, eight, they want to spend time with your friends, keep them in environments, keep them in an environment. Most often that will be with families and with friends that are going to build them up and give them a, a, a fairly safe and stable environment. Yeah. I think that's key is helping them have a space that is safe Yes. And where God's wisdom is going to be what's offered. Exactly. Yeah. That is a good way of saying it. Mm -hmm. I think one other thing that maybe I didn't even realize, even being a teacher in the school here, and your kids can kind of be two people. They Mm. can be one person here at school and another person at home. And it's not anything they're doing consciously, but if you just think about it, what they're like at school in a group of 20 other kids where they're thinking about what they say, what they laugh at, how they laugh, how they look, how they laughs when they say something, (laughs) when they say something, they're dealing with all of that at school. Mm -hmm. When they come home where it's a completely safe environment, something that is noticed about them in school may not be evident at home interesting at all because they're not put at that high pressure cooker situation interesting at home as they would be at school yeah i never would have thought about that the influence that the like it's almost like the weight of the thought of what are other people thinking about me and then when you get home like it's it's different yeah 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 it's like that weight is off totally yeah totally and i wonder i mean this this would take it even further but I wonder if social media almost really like doesn't let that weight be lifted exactly um, and that's one of the the ways that technology in a negative way uh weighs on our kids because mm-hmm. that that thought then when you leave the classroom typically and you get home is now lifted and the kids who spend the majority of their time on social that thought that concern of what are other people thinking it never really goes away it never really goes away that's yeah true. yeah hmm well, we covered a lot today. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with parents or family or anybody listening as we think about parenting and, and family life in general? You had asked when you sent me the original email about how do you keep going at this? Uh, and I yeah. wanted to yeah. say something about that. Go for it. Um, it's amazing to me every year how God gives me a love for my students. And I was, when I was thinking about how I would say this, I thought, oh, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. Hmm. But when a student comes into my class, it's amazing the care and the concern that I have for them. And I'm so thankful. That's when I know I'm still in the right place at the right job, because each one of these students matters so much to me. And sometimes I come across too hard and maybe too strong. And probably because as a 50-year-old, I'm looking too much into the future and I'm thinking about them and the choices they have to make and everything they're going to face. I so want them to get it right. Mm -hmm. And by get it right, I mean make that decision to serve the Lord. And then I always tell them probably the second most important decision you're going to make is who you marry Hmm. because... That puts junior highs at ease. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They love it when I mention the S word and, you know, marriage and oh, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so good. I, I love that. Um, yeah, I think that's great that God really does, like, that speaks to what he's placed in you and where, mm. what you're passionate about. And I have experience as being one of your students that care um, and that love to want to see me as a little junior high punk with a buzz cut really serve God and experience mm-hmm. the life that he would have for me. Um, one of the ways that I'll just highlight for people listening that you do that is, uh, and I don't know if you still do, but you used to take every student's name and assign like an adjective that would go with it that had like a little statement underneath that you would pray about and mm-hmm. say, you know, God, what do you want me to speak into this student's life this year? And, you know, as a true teacher, you would pick strange adjectives sometimes that we would have to look up. Um, <laughs> But mine was very simple. My first one was Noble Nick, and I can't remember the second one. Um, but that is one way that I know that you show care mm. for your students. 
Um, and it's really, it's really obvious and really evident. All right. Well, thank you. I do have to give a disclaimer here. I haven't done that for about two years now. Okay. Now we do have, of course, uh, a class scripture. Yeah. And um, yes, we actually right. make a classroom agreement each year, which I don't oh, think we did when no, you were in really my cool. class. And we decide as a class what's important hmm. this year that we all remember about how we treat each other, about what this classroom looks like. And, of course, we include some fun things like make cookies, yes. but also um, things like don't interrupt when someone else is talking and yeah. respect others' opinions mm. and be careful how you laugh about something that somebody has said. So yes. we try to make it a safe environment. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, and thanks for being on the fam today. This was a great conversation. Thanks for being vulnerable and giving us a bit of a window into your family life and your classroom. And thanks for being a great teacher. There's even just in this conversation, there's things that come back to mind that I learned in your classroom or experiences that I've had that are that I still remember and have still, you know, still shaped my life today. So thank you for being a great teacher. Thank because you, Nick. it might not feel like it every day, but you really are making a difference in the lives of the students, mm. whether you're teaching them how to use the word tedious uh, or you're teaching them how to, you know, do conflict well. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Nick. And thank you so much for being vulnerable and, and sharing with us. I still am thinking about how you and John are striving to be soft and gracious. I just think those two things are so needed as we parent, but also just in our world today. We could all use a little bit more softness and graciousness in our lives, can't we? Graciousness. Is that even a word? It might not be, but I'm using it anyways. It was also super fun to remember what it was like to be in junior high. I really am sorry for throwing stuff up into the ceiling. Thank you for having grace. (laughs) Uh, And thank you for being such an incredible teacher. You have invested so much in me when I was in junior high and in the lives of so many young students. So, and parents around the world are thankful for you. Well, everybody, like I mentioned in the intro, we have come to the end of season one of The Fam, and we're going to be back. But until then, I want to say thank you for being part of this journey of learning to lead our families and disciple our kids together. We love you so much, and we will see you next time on The Fam. Mm-hmm.